All right, Salt Company, what's up? What's up? Hey, hey, hey. Good evening and welcome to another Thursday night. It's good to be with you guys. Hey there. Hey, if you're new here, thought I'd introduce myself. My name's Austin. Hey, hey, hey. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. If this is your first time, just want to say hey and really thankful that you're spending a Thursday night with us. I am truly excited for fall retreat. Oh my goodness. I, you guys don't know, but we have some extra things in store that I'm not going to tell you now, but I'm very excited for. Uh, volleyball is going to be taken to the next level. That is what I'll tell you. It is going to be electric. I hope that you'll join us for that. Uh, it's going to be a great weekend. But for tonight, we are continuing our series through the book of 1 Peter. We've only got two more weeks in the book of 1 Peter, but I'm just really thankful for it and for what it has been doing in my heart and hopefully in yours as well. As we've been studying this book and looking at what it says, we've been calling the series Homesick because it's a letter that was written to a specific group of people that were exiles. They knew what it was like to be far from home. They knew what it was like to be uncomfortable in the place that they were in. And I think that this series has been helpful for us to realize, man, we're a lot like them. We're a lot like this audience that feels a little bit uncomfortable with where we're at, a little bit unsatisfied with our lives, and looking for purpose, looking for a home. And we have a home if we're in Christ. We have a home in heaven, and we can look forward to that. But tonight, I want to talk about purpose now. And what I want to, you know, I want to share a little story with you. Uh, it's about something that happened to me last year. I don't know if you guys knew this, but I'm married. Yes. Feels great. Feels great. I got married uh, about a year ago. I'm sneaking up on my one-year anniversary, which is crazy. Uh, my wife's name is Cora. She's absolutely lovely. And November 5th, last year, we got married. A couple days later, we hit the road to uh, the airport, uh, and they got on a plane. And we went to Jamaica, okay? We went to Jamaica for our honeymoon, and it was legendary. It was an all-inclusive uh, resort that we stayed in, and it was unlike anything else. It was easy, I'm telling you. We ate great food. We drank great drinks. We got to swim in the pool, and then the ocean, and then the pool, you know, like back and forth. It was awesome. We even had our little private pool. It was kind of nice. Anyway, it was easy. And my reflection coming back from the honeymoon was honestly this, that it was perfect for six days. Perfect to enjoy my wife, perfect to enjoy our new marriage, perfect to enjoy all these things, to consume and to just like have it easy. But man, honestly, my thought coming back was like, I'm ready for a little bit of real life. It was a terrible, it would have been a terrible existence for weeks, months, years on end. Why? Because I actually think that during that honeymoon, a like a certain part of me was missing purpose. I was just being like fed everything that I wanted. Everything was available to me. I didn't have to work for anything. Didn't have to hope for anything. Didn't have to actually suffer for something that I thought was worth it. It was too easy. Okay, I think that the very thing that drives us is purpose. We've got to have to suffer for something. Are you like me in this, that you actually want something like deep down in you, actually wants to give everything you've got 
for something worthy of your time. It's why we love like documentaries of people going so hard at sports because we admire this, this passion that they had, this willingness to suffer for something that they believed in. It's why we love why people who are amazing at something because we know that they laid down a lot of their life to be amazing at something. They were willing to suffer for greatness. If that's true, that suffering is linked with purpose and that you've got to actually give in order to have something meaningful happen, then why do we sometimes think that our life is better if we treat it like an all-inclusive resort? <laughs> One moment. Perfect. <laughs> that was hilarious. Yes. We will answer that question in one moment. Oh. Man, why do we think that the solution for our life is to have something like an all-inclusive resort? If that is, if purpose is the main thing that drives us, then the worst thing we could happen, the worst thing we could have happen is have our life stripped of purpose. And the best thing that could happen is given purpose, having something to work for, something to strive for, something to hope for. And so I've got good news for you tonight, that our lives are not like an all-inclusive resort. It's more like a military base. Now imagine if you thought you were on an all-inclusive resort, but it was actually a military base. Here's what would happen. You would be lounging in your chair, sipping on your drink, and somebody would come up to you and say, time to man the gun on the northern post. And you'd freak out. And you'd say, what the heck's going on? I thought you were supposed to tell me the appetizers that were available for me. No, it was a military base all along. It wasn't an all-inclusive resort. But it actually gives you purpose at the military base. You've got a job. You've got to accomplish something. And that's what we're going to see tonight, that Peter, in some ways, is saying, hey, just want to remind you that this life is not like an all-inclusive. It's more like a military base, but that's actually a good thing. Because we can wake up and realize that we've got deep purpose and meaning to our life. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 4. We're starting in verse 12. By the way, if you need a Bible, we've got some outside. You can keep it forever. 1 Peter chapter 4. Verse 12, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange was happening to you. Don't be surprised at the trial that comes at you as if it was something strange. Guys, we shouldn't be surprised that life is crazy and it's going to throw crazy stuff at us. Peter is telling us that we're not on a honeymoon. We're not on an all-inclusive resort. But what is the fiery trial? Let's get some clarity on what he means by fiery trial. I'm not sure if that's the words that you would use to describe your current circumstances. But this is maybe what was on the minds of the readers in that day. For the audience of this letter, they were around a time when there was massive persecution happening to the church. There was a guy named Nero. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. 
but he was persecuting the church, finding the people that were associated with Jesus and doing whatever it took to destroy them, to ridicule them, to slander them, to kill them. This guy Nero was quite literally capturing Christians, putting like sticky tar on them, skewering them on posts, lighting them on fire, and burning them alive during his dinner parties. My goodness. That's the kind of fiery trial that was going on in this time. So how does this matter to us? That's obviously not happening. Otherwise, we would for sure not be in a public place right like this. So how does a fiery trial like dudes persecuting us, how does that relate to suffering with us? And it's through a principle. The principle here in this passage is saying, do not be surprised when suffering and hard times enter your life as if something strange was happening to you. The writer is hinting at the fact that we live in a fallen world. That any sort of suffering, whether it be persecution, whether it be disease, whether it be rejection from friends, whether it be sorrow because people move away and don't come back, whatever it is, it's a result of the fall. The fact that we used to be in perfect relationship with God. That in the garden, we we were walking with God. We had great relationship with him, but because of man's desire to be their own God, because of our desire to do life on our own, we've been kicked out of the garden, and now we live in a fallen world. Work became laborsome. Childbirth became incredibly difficult. Relationships got introduced death into them, and so now there is separation horizontally between us and vertically separation between us and God. And now, one of the ways that we can see the results of a fallen world is through various forms of suffering. Different types of fiery trials happening in our world. So the, the specific instance that these people find themselves in is through persecution. But I'm wondering for you, what is the fiery trial that you feel like you're going through tonight? It could be anything. And I want to give some clarity also of what to think about a fiery trial, what to think about my personal struggles that are happening. And a verse is going to be on the screens. It's Ephesians six sixteen. It's talking about putting on the armor of God. He says, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. But look at what it's defending. It says, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Here's the reality of our suffering and the hard things that are entered into our life is that they're instigated by the evil one. The enemy, Satan who hates you, who hates God, and he's got a bow that is ready to fling flaming arrows at you, things that are going to try and take you down, things that are going to try and take you out of the fight. And it's personal. There are darts being sent your way that are meant to bug you, 
meant to distract you, meant to discourage you. For some of you, the flaming darts are like a family member recently passing away. For some of you, it's a test that's been on your mind. It's on your mind right now. For some of you, it's an upcoming matchup in sports. For some of you, it's this tension in a relationship, a flaming dart sent to distract you, to take you down. And you're dealing with whatever this is, and it feels like it's fiery and terrible, all-consuming. And the interesting thing about all of this is we could look at one another. You could look at whatever is going on in the other person's life and think, man, what they're going through is not as bad as what I'm going through. Or you could look at somebody and say, yikes. They're really going through the ringer. Do I even really deserve to feel sucky about the situation that I'm in? But here is the fundamental purpose of the fiery trial. The fundamental thing that all suffering was supposed to do for us was not to have us compare it to the people around us, but to have it draw us near to God. Because no matter what you're going through, no matter what the fiery trial looks like, no matter what the flaming dart looks like, God cares about your struggle. He sees you. He knows it. And he wants to do it with you. He wants to be a part of this life with you. So whether you think your struggle is puny compared to your neighbors or massive compared to your neighbors, the thing that you need to know is that to God, he cares and wants to be with you in it. It could be a, a breakup. It could be a difficult pl- class. It could be a family member passing away. It doesn't matter, but it matters how you respond. Do you want to actually be with God in it, or do you want to push him away? I've been thinking about obviously flaming darts, and it made me think of Nerf guns. Okay, imagine that you're playing Nerf guns with your, like, two-year-old cousin. I have a two-year-old cousin. And imagine that you shoot a Nerf gun at the two-year-old cousin, and the dart hits him in the shoulder, and it hurts really bad, you know, because you shot him, like, point-blank range, and you thought it'd be funny. And it leaves, like, a little red mark, and they start crying. Okay, for them, that, that little dart actually left a huge impact. Now, if I were to get shot with a Nerf gun dart at point-blank distance, it probably wouldn't hurt me that much. But what about a paintball gun? Paintball gun, point-blank range, that's going to hurt quite a bit. I might not cry because I wouldn't want to embarrass myself, but I'd be very close to crying. It, not, it doesn't matter the significance of how big the dart is, it matters like how much it actually impacts you. And God sees however the flaming dart is impacting you and says, I want to comfort you. Why? Because he's a good father. And a good father, even to the person, even to the the two-year-old who gets hurt from a Nerf gun, 
what would they do? They would kneel down. They would ask, hey, where did the dart hit? Oh, it's on your arm. Can you pull up your sleeve? Let me see it. Yeah, I see. I see the little red mark. Can I kiss it? You know, make it feel better. Sweet. And then you give them a hug. You say, I love you. We'll be okay. Let's keep moving. You know, a good father wants to comfort their kids. No matter the size compared to the other people around them, but how much is the flaming dart influencing your life? God cares. Something that I've just been processing over the past year or so is the reality that the Lord draws near to the brokenhearted. That comes from Psalm 34, verse 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Is that you? Do you feel brokenhearted by the suffering in your life? Do you feel crushed in spirit because of the fiery trial that was happening? The fundamental thing that this was supposed to do was to drive you to your knees so that you would see there a lowly God that wants to crouch down next to you and comfort you. It's interesting that oftentimes the most impactful encounter that you'll have with God is not when you're at your highest, not when you feel like you're achieving the most, not when you feel like you're the most put together, but when you're hurting and you're desperate for God to come near you. The purpose of suffering is for you to draw close to God. He will draw near to you. Let's look at the power of suffering now. If you'll look at verse 13 and 14 with me. It says, But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Did you read what I just read? Rejoice. Wow. An, un- an unexpected command here to rejoice in suffering. How can we do that? Is he saying that we should be really pumped, really happy about all the sucky stuff that we have to go through? No. He's not necessarily that you should love your circumstances. He's not necessarily saying that you should be people that love hard things. But we can be a people who have hope beyond hard things, to get us through hard things, to see to the other side. He's helping us understand that suffering gives us a type of hope that comfort simply cannot manufacture. You see, a good life when everything goes your way starts to introduce you to the idea that what you see is what you get. And I'm seeing a lot of great things, so this is awesome. I don't need faith because everything in front of me is actually pretty good. I don't need hope because everything that my eye sees is actually, you know, it's as it should be. And I don't need God because I'm doing pretty good on my own. But what we also see is that a hard life. When terrible things happen, 
and stuff does not go the way that we think it should, it reveals to us the unseen. It reveals to us that we are not home yet. And it builds in us resilience and hope. The ability to get back up, but also the ability to confess weakness. Saying, I need faith because everything that I see in front of me is crumbling. I need hope because nothing is as it should be. I need God because I can't do this on my own. Suffering gives us hope that comfort and the easy life cannot manufacture. So the power of suffering is hope. It gives us an opportunity to look beyond what we see and hope for what's to come. Does this mean that you just try really hard to be optimistic? Does this mean that you just manufacture a type of happiness and joy? How do we get this type of joy? How do we get this type of hope? Look back at verse 14. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Once again, the principle is that suffering actually is where God meets his people. That the way you can access joy in the midst of hard times, when things are not going the way you thought they would, the way you can access joy and hope is through the Spirit of God. Now the Spirit of God actually says he will dwell in the believer. That if you have accepted Christ, that if you have said, he is my life, I believe in his life, his death, his resurrection, Now his spirit lives in you and actually is the life inside of you. And if God's glory is the display of his beauty, his perfection, then when the spirit of glory is in a person, it means that God's beauty shines through them. That we can actually see a piece of God's character in people. What type of people? Suffering people. Ones that are feeling like life's not going the way that I thought it would. Ones that feel like they're at the end of themselves. When you're at the end of yourself, you can finally put hope in something beyond yourself. So it's unexpected, isn't it, that The Spirit of God would dwell in suffering people, lowly people, the ones where not everything is put together. We often think it would be like the rich, the attractive, the successful people that God would approve of and want to be with. But according to the Bible, it's the ones who are sharing in the sufferings of Christ, the lowly people, the ones who admit weakness that God wants to dwell in. Guys, the only necessary requirement for God to come into your life and to live with you, the only requirement is that you need him. That you would finally confess, hey, I need God. I can't do this on my own. It's lowly, weak, hurting people that God wants to come and live in. 
and we all need him. None of us strong enough to do this life by ourselves. None of us put together enough that we can deserve his presence. All have sinned and fall short of his expectation, his standard. And so we need it to be grace. We need it to be him approaching us. Guys, when we're weak because of suffering, we become the perfect person for God's power to shine through. Because it's no longer about how strong you can be on your own. It's about how strong God can show himself to be through you. I've let some of you guys in on this if you were here a couple weeks ago, but these kinds of passages have just been hitting a little bit different for me over the past year because it was just, just over a month ago that my mom passed away from stage four cancer. And so, man, whenever I'm like reading in the Bible about suffering and pain and hard times, like how to get through it and what to do with pain, it feels like it's just a little bit more real, you know? And so throughout this past year, I've just been amazed actually at the clarity that God has given me through a just a hard time trying to figure out which way to go, how to think about suffering, how to think about how God uses it for good and its purpose. And through all of the suckiness that came with like watching my mom go through chemo and watching her body decay and watching her revel with the fact that she would soon die, the thing that I was absolutely amazed by was how obvious it was that God through her God was like shining through her that he was actually giving her joy. He was actually giving her strength to live each day. It was absolutely amazing, and it's still a little bit hard to put words to, to be quite honest with you. But the thing that I know is that the thing in front of her was death. The thing that her eyes could see was not good, not fun, not enjoyable, But because of that, the power of the gospel became incredibly clear to her. Because of how quickly she knew she would fade, it became so much more important that she believed in something that would never fade. It became so much more important that she would cling on to hope beyond this life. The power of of suffering for my mom was giving her hope, giving her joy. And it only came because of her relationship with Jesus. Nothing else could have given her that. No earthly pleasure could have given her the same type of hope, the same type of purpose to live out the rest of her life. Nothing else would have done that except for a good God who saw her in her suffering and says, I'm with you. Let's do this together. Let's beat cancer together. And she did. Even at her darkest moment, it proved to me that God was with her and that he would shine the brightest when things looked the darkest. It was a gift 
this watching my mom suffer and going through that as a family was a gift that I never wanted for. But the perspective that I have from watching her go through that is something that I never want to lose. Perspective that hope is the power of suffering. And I know that I'm not the only one that's got a story like that. Watching a period of pain happen and seeing that it actually gives you sweet perspective about what life's about and what to put your hope in. That's the thing that I guess is so captivating about suffering is that ultimately it is used for good. But how is it ultimately used for good? The only explanation that there can be purpose through suffering and restoration in the end is a God who is totally above it all. A good God who is totally above it all. And that's the case. The God of the Bible is sovereign over suffering. Totally in control. And using even the evil, even the hard for our good. And one day, there will be the end of all suffering. Here's how the chapter ends. Look at verse 19 with me. He says, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. What does it look like to entrust your soul to a faithful creator? Man, one of the hardest parts about hearing teaching on suffering and hearing about people who do it well and people who do it in a noble way. And it can be the reality that we all know that when hard times come or when hard times have come, that we didn't handle it perfectly. And that's what's true about all of us, that when hard times come, what's squeezed out of us is actually going to be sin, When you squeeze a ketchup bottle, you get ketchup. And when you squeeze a sinner, you get sin. So when we get squeezed, when we get hard-pressed, the things that come out of us are bitterness and resent, and we get frustrated with our circumstances. None of us will perfectly handle what life throws at us. So here's the call. It's to not entrust your soul to yourself. Not to entrust your soul to your own ability to suffer well and to get through hard times by your own strength. The call here is to entrust yourself to a faithful creator, to the God of the universe. To bank on him to make all things right. To bank on him to give you what you need for each day's struggles. To put all of your hope in how he will redeem all things in the end. How is he going to do it? How's he going to make all things restored in the end? Earlier in the book, Peter gave us a little glimpse from a little sentence. It's from chapter 2 that sums it all up. He says, by his wounds, by Jesus' wounds, you have been healed. This is the gospel. That God saw you where you were at. You rebelled against him. You didn't want life with him. You chose a life on your own, and God saw you and said, no, I know what's best for them. 
I want life intimately with them. And so he sent Jesus to be on a great rescue mission, but the mission required something terrible. It required suffering. God suffered. God walked the same earth that we do. And ultimately, God sent Jesus to withstand the only suffering that we can't take, the only suffering that would ultimately destroy us. This is what Jesus did when he was on the cross. Sinless as he was, perfect as he was. He didn't need to suffer. He didn't need to die, but he chose to die so that on him, all of the ways that we've messed up would be sent on him. And he would endure the greatest form of suffering anybody could have ever imagined. That he would be totally separated from God. He would be totally separated from the love of God. Guys, when we go through suffering right now, it feels like we're far from him. But he's near. When Jesus was on the cross and died, God was not near. He abandoned Jesus. Why? so that you could be brought in, so that you could be brought close to him. Jesus withstood the only suffering that would totally destroy you. He took it on himself so that you would never have to bear it. There's a quote from Tim Keller. I'll share it with you. It says, Jesus lost all his glory so that we could be clothed in it. He was shut out so that we could get access. He was bound, nailed, so that we could be free. He was cast out so we could approach, and Jesus took away the only kind of suffering that can really destroy you, that is being cast away from God. This is the gospel. And if you believe in Jesus, you will be free from the greatest suffering you could ever go through. You will not have to fear separation with God because Jesus took that in your place. On the cross, God handled sin. The beautiful thing about being with God for all of eternity, about being restored to relationship with him, is that we can have faith that God is an expert in redeeming broken things. This is the thing that he proved when Jesus ultimately rose from the grave three days after he died. That's like the best part of the whole gospel is that Jesus didn't stay dead. That he rose from the grave three days later, that he is alive and well now and actively redeeming the world. Actively healing wounds. Actively making all things right, and someday all things will be made right. Not even death, not even suffering, not even evil, not even sin are powerful enough to keep God from restoring peace. When Jesus rose from the grave, he proved that death is not the end, and therefore there's hope for you that if you die and you are in Christ, the hope that death is not the end for you either. And beyond that, there will be a day when suffering comes to a complete end. 
through Jesus. There will be no tear. He will wipe away every tear. He will heal every wound. All our pain will be comforted. All our failures will be redeemed. But it only comes through one man. The man who took ultimate suffering in our place. Jesus is our only hope. And what we receive when we receive him is paradise with God now and forever. The end of suffering comes through Jesus. So in review, I just want to remind you of three simple things. Three simple, hard, important things that as we can expect a life of pain, this will get us through that there is purpose in suffering, that it was made to draw us near to God. That there is power in suffering that it gives us hope that comfort could never manufacture and that there is an end to suffering, that one day through Jesus all will be made right. All tears will be wiped away and we will be with God forever. And so here's our invitation, Salt Company. As crazy as it is, here's the invitation. Joy. The invitation is to rejoice insofar as we share the sufferings of Christ, knowing that he's with us as we do it, and knowing that nothing can get in the way of our ultimate good. That God is a good father. So regardless of the circumstance, he will make all things right. And one day we're going to look back on all the ways that we saw suffering, and we're going to say, wow. What a ride. Through each and every hill and valley, God will have been with us, knowing exactly what it would do for us, for our character, knowing that it would ultimately draw us closer and closer to him. It's for our good and it's for his glory. Guys, we're invited into the best life ever, certain that nothing can separate us from the love of God because of what Jesus has done on our behalf. Let's pray in light of that truth. God, thanks for this text and just the reality that we can can trust you as a faithful creator. God, we know that life's not free of pain. All of us in the room know what it's like to feel pain. (laughs) But thank you for giving us sweet purpose in the midst of that, knowing that it was always meant for us to be drawn closer to you. God, I pray that in whatever way each of these students are feeling the suffering, the fiery trial that's upon them, God, I pray that they would just bring it to you, that during these songs that they would bring it to you, that You would give them comfort in whatever they need. God, thank you for sending your son Jesus to suffer, to know what it's like to feel mistreated, to know what it's like to feel rejected. Thank you that you want to You want to be like us in the sense that you want to do life with us, God, that you're not far. So I pray that you would just make that really known in these next songs, God, that you are not far, but you are near.
Would you be praised? Would you be lifted high? And would you give us joy in the midst of whatever we're going through? Pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.